If you're looking for a show about everyday black dreamers and doers, you've come to the right place. Join me on a quest to find ordinary people doing extraordinary things, reinterpreting the rules of the game in order to achieve life on their own terms. I'm your host, Moses Tillman Young, and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. Welcome to the Black Hole Podcast, and today we're going to be talking with Donnie Bryant. He is a copywriter from Chicago, and he's not a typical copywriter. For him, copywriting is more than just a job, but it is his calling. And in this episode, we're going to explore his unconventional path to success, from working in retail to where he is today. And also, he will share insights into his unique approach to copywriting and why asking the right questions is crucial and how to create a deep impact with customers regarding marketing strategies. So, Donnie, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm a little flustered that <laughs> you, you said some very kind things that I'm, I was, it surprised me. So, I appreciate that. As long as they're true. So that's all that really matters. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you first discover the world of copywriting in terms of that being what you're currently into and influencing and you are using to help make other people's lives better? I really grew up thinking I was going to be a writer. Probably nonfiction books. I, I like history. I like science. And so I thought, always thought I would get into that but I didn't know how and I didn't follow a like an educational path for writers I just did regular I did high school I went to college and I met my wife and in my freshman year I married her in my freshman year and got into the real world of working and just got into the retail world and it was 2007 right around that time I I was working way too many hours, it's up to 80 hours a week. And I was on salary. So I got paid the same if I worked 40, if I worked 80. And I was just tired. I was, I had three, three children at the time. I have four now. And I was, I just didn't have the energy to work and then come home and be present with them the way that I wanted to. And so I started thinking, what can I do where I can make money from home? That would be ideal. And I just... Google search and I discovered providentially I discovered copywriting and I, I very quickly decided this is what I want to do. I, I like selling and I love writing and I feel like writing is part of who I am and the two just went together. So it was 2007 when I really started getting into copywriting. Before that, I, I had never heard of the word. Yeah. And so for you, what exactly is copywriting for the listeners who aren't fully aware of the industry and what it is? Can you define yeah, what it is for us, please? It's a great question. And the way I describe it is uh, copywriting is writing stuff to sell stuff. That's <laughs> at least the way that I do it. There's multiple kinds of copywriting, but most copywriters that call themselves copywriters really are in the marketing world. And so our design is to ultimately get people to take action, which is usually to buy stuff. 
So as you're starting this new journey into copywriting after working in the retail industry for quite a while, what were some of the things that you were able to transfer from your experience working in retail to copywriting? That's a great question. Uh, I learned, I feel like every job that I had ended up teaching me something. Like I managed a cell phone store. I ended up doing marketing for them without getting paid for it, but somebody had to do it. But I learned the sale, the skill rather of selling, like in, in a face to face situation, being persuasive, how to communicate to people, how to overcome object, objections, and to be succinct. <laughs> and so I learned perseverance and I learned communication skills. Like I said, I thought I grew up love, loving to write, but I wasn't necessarily the most uh, skilled at interpersonal communication. I was a nerd. <laughs> I was very shy growing up. And so being in retail, you deal with people. And I was in retail management. So now I got to now be a leader to people and I got to deal with higher level issues. All the things that a regular employee does, but also in management, you do more. So I think those were skills that all became helpful as I started to learn copywriting and running your own business. <laughs> you need to understand, you need to be able to persevere. You need to be able to set, organize your schedule and manage projects. And so all those things were helpful to me as I began uh, my copywriting journey. And so when you were younger, your grandmother had a huge library of at least uh, 25,000 books, yeah. if, I, if I recall. Uh, what topics interested you when you were reading through her, her books in the library? And what, some of the, what were some of the things that really called out to you and stood with you till this it's day? A, it's such an interesting question. I, my, her library is, and she had a fire a few years ago, so she lost a bunch, but it was 25,000, the number that she gave me probably at its peak, at least that I know of. Uh, I loved the encyclopedias. <laughs> Maybe partially because as I was growing up, the encyclopedias were at eye level. <laughs> and so I, I loved this encyclopedias. And I began to read them, some more historical stuff. She had some self-help personal development books. She, I think she bought books every time she saw them. She just bought them. She had a bunch of romance novels, which I didn't read though. <laughs> but she had a lot of history. She had a lot of religious books, uh, a lot of history books, it's, and health books as well. But I gravitated towards history stuff, science stuff, and the encyclopedias. For some reason, I just really liked encyclopedias. Yeah, a lot of information in there, for sure. In yeah. terms of like, even like the ones with the little sketches and the pictures. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time my mother, she was, we were doing something, and something came on the TV, and I said, I know what that is. I, I must have been seven or eight. And I went, I knew exactly where it was in the encyclopedia. I turned right to it. And she was shocked by this. You have a uh, photographic memory. I don't think that's true, but I just spent a lot of time <laughs> in the encyclopedia. So I recognized something that I, we saw on the television and I could remember where it was in the book that I had been sitting and reading. So we had encyclopedias at home as well, a couple of sets. So would you say that learning a bunch of like general knowledge and general topics about 
anything and everything. How helpful has that been for you in terms of your current style of copywriting today? Yeah, another great question. I think there's like two sides of this coin. I think it's very useful for all humans <laughs> to have a, a broad base of knowledge. Just because you're helps you connect with different people, it also helps you connect ideas. If you spend all your time reading one thing or listening to one kind of thing or studying one topic, you get to be very smart about that one topic, but you can get tunnel vision as it were and may not see how that uh, one topic plays into other facets of life or the world or culture or history. So I think it makes sense for everyone, writer or not, to really broaden the horizon of their interests and their just their knowledge. You don't have to know everything about everything. <laughs> I think it's helpful to know a lot of things about a lot of different things. And then for you to be a really good expert at one or two things. So I think, yes, I think it's important for uh, everyone to know a lot of stuff about a lot of different topics. But as a writer specifically, <laughs> it's the best thing ever <laughs> to be able to connect ideas, to be able to see how one thing interplays with another thing and across cultures, across history, across disciplines. And so then recently, quote unquote, is maybe within the last eight years, I've primarily written about financial topics, but before then I had written about <laughs> all kinds of different niches, all kinds of different products and subjects. And I loved learning different things about different niches or different industries or different goals that people have. And so being able to study those different things or just having that general knowledge in advance gave me a head start on a lot of different projects that I was on. And I was able to continue that as I worked on different projects. But now, even though I'm focused, more focused, a lot of those ideas still come into play. You understand the world better and you have different metaphors that you can make and different connections. So I think it's important in general, but I also think it's, I know it's been very helpful for me to just have a, a well-orbed view of the, everything in the world or as many things in the world as, as I can connect to. I think it's, very, it's been very helpful for me. Yeah, and also in terms of, as you are saying about um, different disciplines and whatnot, is if you are scientifically inclined, it is really helpful in, in most cases if you study the arts, study something else that is completely foreign to the field you're currently studying. Yeah. So then that way you're able to, whenever you re go back to your own field, be able to look at it through the lens of an artist, through the lens of somebody else that's not necessarily yep. in your field. And you're able to find that perspective to be helpful in terms of fixing something or tweaking this, turning that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And even as a professional individual, a lot of times we study our own industries exclusively. And a lot of times you'll find great ideas from other industries or you won't find them because you don't look at other industries. So for example, I think banks got the drive-through idea from fast food. Nobody goes into bank branches anymore, right? They would never have had that idea if they weren't looking and seeing what other people are doing that could improve their business. And they say, people go through McDonald's and it really improves efficiency, probably improves the customer experience overall. And they implemented it and changed the course of banking. So even with, as a professional, just looking across different industries can give you different ideas to help your business grow. And so that's a really, I didn't know that. 
what would you say are some of the things people should look for to change in their industry to improve on it? Are there certain things, are there like certain categories of things that you can improve within a certain business or how does that work? One thing that you really should pay attention to, I mean, I think it's helpful for anyone who is into business growth for yourself or for helping other people do it, is to, to be aware of just general business topics. But when you see something that's super popular or, or super impactful in another industry, or let's say Netflix, whatever, <laughs> right? Netflix has a business that it disrupted everything that was going on before. Even Blockbuster had Blockbuster, then you have Netflix. But even Blockbuster is disruptive because it gives you the ability to get content on demand. So that's just saying Blockbuster became super popular. And so somebody can say, whereas we normally do our business where we decide what you get all the time at predetermined times, predetermined amounts, you get what I tell you to get. And they find that Blockbuster lets you do what you want. And people like that. <laughs> and so that you could say, to, oh, maybe it makes sense in my business to give people choices, to give people freedom. And they will like that service better. They'll get more value from it. And then Netflix takes it to another place where now you don't have to come into the store. <laughs> you can get everything in your house. So the convenience factor. So just to keep your eyes open for things that are really effective for other businesses in your industry or not. If you see their marketing and it really works really well, it seems to really be improving their numbers or getting a lot of attention or getting a lot of people talking about it. how can I use something like that in my business? Or if you like that, so that's marketing. But also if you see if processes, if you're paying attention, you say they just doubled their productivity. How do they do that? And can I do the same thing in my business? So <laughs> it's really uh, just paying attention. And I think that it goes across the board. I really, I paid attention to marketing more than anything else. But if there's anything in your business where you say, I feel like this could be more efficient or more powerful or more satisfying to the customer, just look for other people who are satisfying their customers and see if you can steal some of their, steal some of their ideas. <laughs> yeah. So looking for what works in different industries and then finding a way to map it on to what you're currently doing and try yeah, to like what's, what's the that? underneath underlying factor or dynamic that makes that thing work in their business drive throughs work in, in fast food because it makes it faster right so how do I, so you don't have to say oh, let me how do i have drive through service for my digital marketing business you can't do that because it's digital but the idea is efficiency and speed what can i do that because people like speed people like efficiency they like minimal hassle minimal inconvenience how do i do that how do i add a convenience factor or how do i improve the speed of my business and so you really got to get to why the thing that's working works and it's how do I make that same, bring that same benefit to my business or the same process to my business. And so how does copywriting fit into that mindset, that aspect of trying to improve on things, make things faster, more convenient? In, in, in what way does this copy do that? So I think there's two ways I can answer this question as well. One thing about how you write copy is if you want copy to work, you have to talk about those things that work. So people like speed, 
my copy should write should address the speed issue as long as it's true now i'm not advocating people to say it's the fastest thing ever if it's really not but realizing that people care about speed people care about convenience people care about no hassle you mention those things in your copy because that's what people are gravitating towards you see them doing it oh they like netflix because of this on demand wide variety zero hassle zero inconvenience these are things that people that matter to people and people spend money to get and they keep spending money <laughs> like they don't even think about it the netflix bill is basically like your water bill like your electric bill <laughs> you have to have it and so it's, i think to netflix should be tax deductible for creatives <laughs> because we use it we're getting story ideas yeah but anyway so you want to highlight those things in, in your copy but in terms of what your business actually is you use copy to reach people you have a website, you want to have copy that speaks to people. So when people land there, they say, oh, I'm going to get value here. I'm going to, me being here is going to be valuable for me. And the individual Moses who runs this page, he's an expert. He's the kind of guy who I want to learn from, or I want to work with, or I want to uh, connect with, <laughs> I want to send money to. And so good copy does that. And less wimpy copy, and <laughs> I say wimpy like you just very descriptive or or very straightforward. Hi, I'm Donnie. I like to write. Send me money. You can't. It doesn't work. So copy makes your marketing more efficient because every time you send an email or every time you post something on social media, is it going to be effective or not? Is it going to make people react or not? And if you figure out or when you figure out how to make people respond in the way that you want them to your marketing works clients come to you or prospects come to you and you're able to move your business forward and so most people aren't copywriters and that's fine <laughs> right but everyone uses copy whether they know it or not if you have a website there's copy on it and if you have if you send emails to your list there's copy on it if you do ads there's copy and if you do social media you don't really think about it but there's copy. If you do video, you write scripts, that's also copy. So <laughs> the question is, are you going to, how intentional are you going to be about getting that right? And you don't have to become a copywriter to do it, to do a good job, but that's what we do specifically, exclusively, or maybe not exclusively, but that's what we really hammer down. How do we get the words? How do we get the ideas? How do we get the emotions so that this piece of marketing performs the goal that we have for it to perform. And so as you're, as anyone is, is thinking about their business, think about how the words you're using produce a result in the reader or the viewer or the, the listener so that you're moving them closer to taking an action that's good for them and good for you as well, which usually means them buying from you if they're the right kind of customer. Yeah, okay. So the thing about copy is you want it to, it's about, persuasion in terms of how you arrange the words, the sentences, paragraphs in such a way that it compels a customer to read the text and want to take an action after yeah. reading the text. So let me interrupt you for one second. So exactly like what you said in putting it in order, if the first three paragraphs on your website are all about you, people might click away. They, they won't care about you until after they figure out how you're valuable for them. Unless you're Kim Kardashian, <laughs> right? 
They want to be <laughs> Kim. Okay, cool. I'm reading that. But if if you're just talking about you or you're just talking about things that you're interested in, you're going to lose them. So you want to arrange your copy to put stuff that is valuable to them and their goals and what they're trying to accomplish up in the beginning. So you got them. Once they say, oh, I need to know about that. That's a problem I need to get rid of. Or that's a dream that I have and I'm not sure how to get to. Oh, I'm going to learn about that here. Cool. And then they, and now you got them. And then you can talk about yourself and you can talk about your products. But you got to hook them first. And so it's exactly what you said, or figuring out how to arrange those, how to arrange those things so that you optimize their experience, which means again, letting them know they're in the right place. If you want to learn about something that's valuable or, or relevant to you, this is the place to do it. Gotcha. That makes more sense. So yeah, make sure that you are hooking them directly. You're speaking out to them like in the first couple of paragraphs, and then yeah. that way it gets their attention, hooks them, and then they yep. keep on wanting to scroll. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You recently released a, a new book of yours called Subject Line Science, 11 Made You Look Secrets to Get Emails Opened and Read, based on $100 million in sales. And I was wondering... In it, you talk a lot about the power of storytelling. For copywriters who are using stories, like how does that convert compared to the ones that are simply doing like the whole list of benefits with the bullet points and all that stuff? You asked some really good questions. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Stories are, story isn't, you're not going to use story every time. But story is a powerful weapon to have in your arsenal because it's people want to hear stories. We just automatically say, I'm interested. I want to hear what happens in this story. And so it's we want to be able to use that. And even within a uh, sales page or a video or what have you that has the benefits, if you have an element of a story, especially near the beginning, it's a great way to draw people in, just like a movie trailer. It only takes a few seconds for you to say, ooh, I'm curious to know what's going to happen next. It's just how we're, how our brains work, how we were taught to process information. It's strangely true. Our brains actually automatically make things into stories. We are not even really conscious of it until you stop and think about it. But you can take just tiny pieces of information and we figure out, we make a story about it. <laughs> you see a cigarette butt on the ground. I'm, I'm now going off tra track, but you see a cigarette butt on the ground. And you say, okay, somebody was in here smoking. That doesn't mean it's true. But we only see a cigarette butt. You added the story is where some there's a person. It's probably a man. He was probably in here. Why was he sitting in this room? We just automatically do that. So, But it makes sense for us to write stories because then we can control what the brain does. Because rather than letting them make their own story, we tell them what, what happened and what they need to know so that they can begin to have an emotional uh, reaction and they can begin to see the moral of the story. If I tell you the story about <laughs> me working 80 hours a week at Kmart, you remember Kmart? You might be, I don't know oh, if yeah, you've ever yeah. seen Kmart. Oh, yeah. I, I've been in one. It was, gosh, years ago. Years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. They're not doing very well, but 80 hours a week. I'm breaking my back. I can't, when I get home, I'm too tired to really spend time with my family and my kids. They want to play. And I'm like, I don't have any energy. Just 
And but I found a solution though. I figured out a way for me to make three times more money than I was making at Kmart while being at home. I can wake up and see my kids first thing in the morning, fix them breakfast, get them dressed for school, be home when they get home from school. Anyway, the <laughs> the story begins. You like, oh, okay. I didn't sell you anything, but I began to show you what's possible and make you to desire that if you're working at a job that's which is beating you up taking all your time and you have family and you want to be able to spend time with them i just painted that picture without selling anything and so story can do that i found in many cases story-based copy i've seen double more straightforward just benefit copy in many cases so again you won't use it all the time but you probably can use it more often than you think and it's very powerful, very natural. And people remember the stories. So even if they don't buy from you on that day, they'll remember the story. And now you own some real estate in their mind. And that's valuable. But the thing about story too, though, is that there are different kinds of stories you can tell. Because there are the stories that are more, this is, what, this is the transformation that you'll see. Um, and then there is the story of if you don't do this, you will remain in the place where you are. In terms of what you've seen convert better, which one works? Is it more of the positivity, watch me go from like one to 10? Or is it more of... Uh, I, if you stay at one, you will be at one and possibly at zero for the rest of your <laughs> life. Is it the positive or is it the negative? Which ones have you seen actually like work better and it's, resonate it's, with people? It's a really great question. I, it, I think it depends on a couple of factors. It depends on who you're talking to. Certain demographics respond different, differently to different things. And it depends on what you're trying to get them to do. Scientific, I've seen the scientific study that showed negative stories get really get people if you can bring people to anger through a story the irs is intentionally targeting small businesses they're looking for people who they can exploit take their money embarrass and shut down and then you can tell a story about somebody and it's like now I got an enemy. You told me a story that may give me an enemy. Let's stick it to the man. <laughs> we're going to do this and get them to, we're going to fight back. That's a negative story can really drive action. So that's what this scientific study from the government showed. That can get a lot of action. The only down, downside to negative stories, if you don't turn it around, is that you can get people where they're emotionally in a low place. I'm depressed now. I'm feeling disempowered, discouraged, and I don't want to do anything today. So I, I like negative stories to at the beginning, if you can turn it around. Or you can have the positive stories where it's just, the, I guess, the, the typical rags to riches sort of thing. <laughs> you can use that as well. I just find, and I can't scientifically prove this yet, or I haven't scientifically proven it yet, I find like that's a, it's a little bit predictable and we have to be more creative in how we present it. Cause if people say, I've heard this story before, 
I don't need to hear what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, and I know what you're doing when you say it. So you got to throw some a different angle in there. Uh, but that's so that's another positive to the negative story. It's a little bit less widely used, and so people haven't been conditioned by that story to, where they feel like they know it. They're not as um, they're more likely to respond, pay attention to it because they haven't. It doesn't feel like they've heard it a thousand times. I like again, yeah. I, that's anecdotal at this time. I may try to <laughs> prove it with data in the near future. So anyway, does that answer your question? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think know, you, yeah. you have both. So yeah, that answered it perfectly. Okay, yeah, I gotta have both. <laughs> I, I actually say that there are seven kinds of stories. <laughs> That's not in the book. But there's some additional kinds of stories include, it, so it depends on how you want to use them. But you, you can have stories that really flex your status and, and authority. You tell a story about, and you don't even have to like go into bragging, bragging mode. Back when I was managing the $100 million wealth fund, I learned this and that. And it's like, you can tell a story about the environment that you're in or the people you're hanging out with or, or the amazing outcome that you, you produced. And so you're, it's not even necessarily a rags of riches or, or man in the hole kind of thing. It's just, I'm going to flex my muscles right now and tell you about something that, that happened but in the mean, in the process, I'm showing you me in a position of power, authority, celebrity, whatever. I won't get into all of them, but there's lots of different ways you can tell stories. And you should explore all of them. And, and for different reasons, you'll use different things at times. So just like we were talking about general knowledge, it's great to be familiar with different kinds of stories and how you can use them to accomplish different things. I just want to make sure people know I'm a bad man pajama. <laughs> right so you want to tell a little story that flexes that you don't have to go into your childhood just tell a little story about something that happened where you're in a position of authority or you can tell a story that really shows your philosophy like i believe in my heart that dishonesty will lead to ruin i could tell a story that shows that it either shows how it doesn't work out for somebody they thought they were getting ahead by lying and then they found out they were digging themselves into a hole or just how I was unwilling to, I could say, tell us true stories about that. I was unwilling to take money from somebody who wanted me to lie in my copy or their copy. I won't do it. So the story just showing I have this as a philosophy or as a, my personal values. And the purpose of that is you'll say I have the same values. You're my kind of person, the kind of person who I connect with. I feel like I can trust you. I, I feel like we have a lot in common. So that accomplishes a different goal. Anyway, I won't go too far down that path, but just saying there's lots of different kinds of stories. Yeah, and it seems that the the main ones that you, you just talked about in, the, in this moment, like the main like big topics, it seems to be that it revolves around like status, experience, and personal philosophy in terms of like those three things. So if you talk about status, as you said, like, oh, I was... I, I worked for this $100 million fund or a personal philosophy being dishonest or experience. I used to work retail 80 hours a week kind of thing. And so it right. seems like, like, like those three things end up being the main pillars in terms of what you're going to be pulling from essentially. Yeah. yeah. Am I right on that? Yeah. I, I think those are definitely the big ones. Yeah. Okay. 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 Nice. So, 
also in your book, you discuss the thing that I really, I like it sometimes, but I don't really like it all the time. It <laughs> is the whole, you like go to your Gmail account and you click on it. You see a subject line that's interesting. You click on it and then it says, Hey Moses, how are you doing today? And so like the thing starting off with the person's name and like being yeah. personal and right. in the book, you discuss how to be personal without necessarily using like the person's name and then like repeating it all the time throughout the right. text whenever you're talking to them. What are some of the, the ways that you've seen that work out for you? Sure. <clears throat> the main, here, I'll, let me say this. The, the only reason anyone opens an email is because they think there's something for them inside, right? So, so if, if your friend sends you an email, it doesn't even matter what the subject line is. It's your friend. Yeah. And I, I want to hear what my friend says, what he's going to share with me. I know he always sends me some goofy video. I'm going to chuckle. We know that. Yeah. So personal has partially to do with the connection that you have. The person knows that you send value. So I, I think, actually, I've seen way too much of this where people overuse it. Everything they send is, hey, Don, you got to see this. And then you open and what, there's nothing inside for me. It's really just you attempting to leverage that idea that we have a personal relationship. And it only works for so long before I realize you're playing a game with me. And so we need to have respect for people and their intelligence. People are not going to fall for it if you don't deliver on something that's personally relevant to them. So relevance is extremely important. If So it can be personalized without, and we should use first name personalization sometimes, but like you said, overdoing it, it now it sounds robotic. I like stick, sticking it in weird places in the body copy because <laughs> you're not expecting it. You expect it at the beginning, but if it, this yeah. one place close to the end, like you feel me, Donnie? And then you'll be like, oh, it just hits you like almost feels real. So there's that, but then, people are taking some kind of action they're in some kind of place and it especially works when you get them to take an action so an example that i give is if when i send an email and i know that they didn't click it <laughs> and i can say i didn't click the link inside and i, I the one that i have in the book is since you didn't watch the video <laughs> nothing else in there is personal but it's they, I, but I make sure that they, if they opened it and didn't click, they get the email the following day and they know they got an email from me because they read it. They know they didn't click it. And so the open rate on that for me has been unbelievable. It doesn't always get clicks again, but I usually use that email to say what I say on the other side of the click, just in case you don't feel like clicking the thing to watch the video. Let me tell you, give you a brief overview of what I shared. And then you still give the link anyway. But it's personalized because they know they didn't watch the video. <laughs> they know there's a video they didn't watch. And so you can add rel personal relevance by if they just took some certain action. Now you know that about them. They're in a particular place. It's right before open enrollment time or whatever. <laughs> All the employees are, oh, I got to change my benefits. I got to change my plan. I got to whatever. Yeah. And so they know it's for them because it's, personally relevant to what their life situation is and so you can personalize in that way as well yeah and it seems like with that especially the since you didn't watch the video it also 
makes the person feel a little bit guilty in, little in, guilt. in, 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 in a funny <laughs> way. Yeah. Cause like you call them out on it, like I didn't watch the video, man. And so what you're sending them then is in that email, the follow-up email, it is like a, it's a TLDR too long. Didn't read Yep. summary of the video. So then that way they'll be able it's to feel, yeah, they'll, they'll feel like, Oh, so like I, I got the gist of the video without having to actually watch the video. Right. See, cause my readers know <clears throat> that I don't know how to be fast. <laughs> my, it's going to be a five minute video and turns into a 17 minute video. So they may be, I don't have time to listen to Don. So the TLDR, at least I can skim through and get the main points without watching a 17 minute video. So yeah, you're exactly right. I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. Just making sure it's all, everything you need to know in a quick little bite-sized email. And so I still get to tell you what I needed to tell you, even though you didn't click the link I was trying to get you to click. There's a whole strategy I use there, which I call the max consumption strategy, but Basically, we've talked about that, about the most important parts right there. So yeah, it's exactly right. The guilt is also a great factor. It's not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but you instantly, when you read, you're like, Ooh, you just feel a little bit. And then you, okay, the least I could do is open and see what he's talking about. And I'm not, and inside the email, what I do is relieve that instantly. I say, I get it. You're probably busy. So just, I just want to give you this, the, overview of what i talked about just in case you don't want to watch the video or you just don't like watching videos and that way we're not i'm not keeping people in a negative emotional space i'm not trying to exploit anybody but i don't have a problem using a little bit of those negative emotions to get people's attention because it works yeah it does work and even like looking at the open rate that you had on it inside the book it's like it converts like crazy it seems yeah i'm, I'm getting great results you can't overuse it like anything else you don't want to do it too often because then people get used to it but it's a great thing to pull out every once in a while and yeah do variations on it so just to keep it interesting i think that's the other thing about email a lot of us get boring emails so if you are interesting throwing different kinds of stories different kinds of emails different kinds of subject lines just to keep people i wonder what moses is going to do next <laughs> we don't know but i know it's always gonna be fun when i open it and valuable and so that that helps you stand out from everybody else who's just doing the same old thing every time, which is almost everybody. Yeah. And it's really important to realize that the people that you're sending your content to, they are, they're intelligent. Like people are actually thinking about this. Yeah. And even though, and people are, they're like, like pattern seeking machines. And so if you lay out to them a pattern and you do that over and over again, over time, they're going to they're pick up on it for sure. Yep. Yep. And whenever they see it, they're going to realize, oh, that's this thing. And this thing yep. happened before. And I already saw this thing. So I don't need to see this new thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Super important to, to keep that in mind. I think it's important in life, <laughs> right? For sure. If you have any kind of relationship you have, just do something different. Friendships, romantic relationships, whatever. Do something, add some spontaneity. <laughs> just keep things interesting. If you do the same thing, every Friday we go to the same restaurant and we order the same food. We had the same conversation. It's like, can we do something different, please? And I think the same thing applies to email. Like, don't be so boring that people think it's a snooze. Like, why am I going to, same email every Friday. I don't want to read it this week. Uh, but if you're predictable in that you're always going to bring value, unpredictable in how you're going to bring it, how you're going to present it, what positive outcome am I going to get from reading it? I don't know. But that's part of why I want to open it and read it. Because 
you never know. You never know what Kevin Hart's going to say when you give him a microphone. You never know. He's going to be funny. So that's the same kind of thing. Yeah. To further go on with the, the, your customer knows exactly what to expect kind of thing. You have something called the human algorithm. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, I, I, it's, I put the term around it because I wanted to try and make it unique. I don't think that I'm, I'm definitely not the only person who's thought about this, but our brains process information in a specific way. Obviously, everyone has their own, everyone's unique. Everyone's brain is a little bit different, uh, but we process information in kind of a algorithmic way. We process certain things first. For example, uh, the human attention algorithm says bio, <laughs> the biological things take precedence because our brain's pr primary job is to pr prevent us from dying. <laughs> so we automatically pay attention to things that seem dangerous. We just can't help it. Our brain has to do that. And so if we want to leverage how our brains process information, which is because you only got a, really a few instant like a less than a second to grab somebody's attention with the subject line not most if you're if they're just scrolling you got to catch the eye and you got to make them pause enough to think about what you've got there and consider is this going to be worth my time and so biological biological stuff if you're hungry hunger especially when you're really hungry hunger becomes the primary motivation for you right now i ain't gotta eat i don't care about anything else <laughs> get out of my way where's the food and our on a lesser level, our desires for things can become uh, primary. So that's like first. <clears throat> then it's interest, things that we're really interested in. If we're passionate about something, automatically we think about it. Yeah. Basketball. Every time I see a Michael Jordan, I hate Facebook. If I open it up, they know. They put a Michael Jordan clip, Kobe Bryant clip, and I cannot watch it. I got to click and watch it. <laughs> it's just going to be 60 seconds, man. I'm going to watch Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this clip before, right? I've seen it. We've all seen it. But I'm so, I love basketball. I love Mike. I'm in Chicago. So we got to, so we'll never let that go. And so I'm watching it. Donnie Bryant, Kobe Bryant. I pretend he's my cousin. Got to watch it. So Facebook knows me and they give me that all the time and I watch it. So they know everybody and you probably notice the same thing is true for you. But anyway, because I'm interested in it, it catches my eye every time and it makes me pause and say, do I got 60 seconds to watch Mike? Again, I do. Or Kyrie. I've been watching a lot of Kyrie Irving <laughs> video. So interest is there. And then also, think, then the next thing, the third level is things that we know we have to do. So if I know I, I got a test coming up, I think that's the example I use. I'll pay attention. I got to go study. I don't want to. But if somebody says, you tested tomorrow, I'm, I'm paying attention. But then again, that moves into a place of danger <laughs> because if I'm not ready for it, I'll fail. Uh, so anyway, the human attention algorithm is m me just breaking down some ways of if we think about how our brains, human beings, our brains are designed in a certain way. Uh, everyone has different desires. Everyone has different interests. Everyone has different requirements or things that are things that they need to do. So you can't I just can't just tell you exactly what will work every time. But if you think about what biological needs can I tap into for my audience? interest you should know what they're interested in to a certain degree because they opted into your list for a reason <laughs> they're interested in that at least and people are interested in trending topics in their in your industry they're interested in celebrities can't help it we just are 
And so if we think through these things, it can help you get attention with your subject line. And that's the first job. If you can get attention, then you can get opens and then you can get people to read your email. If we get no attention, we fail it at the rest of them. Notwithstanding, people think that you're a friend or they, not necessarily a friend, but they're just, some, you're somebody who they trust and they'll read everything that you send because they know you. But I don't want to just count on that either, right? <laughs> because you'll see, even for very trusted people, you get varying open rates and engagement depending on the subject line. So anyway, that's what the human attention algorithm is about. Yeah. And so in terms of the human attention algorithm and the new hot thing, AI, how does, how can a person use the human attention algorithm and write out content using AI and do it effectively? Is that possible? Do you think? <laughs> it's possible. It's here's the thing that I say, first of all, I'll say something I haven't said publicly yet for you. I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it. But Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, uh, he tweeted maybe two weeks ago, superhuman persuasion will happen before artificial general intelligence, which just means when the, the robot is smarter than people. But he made it seem like it's about to happen. Uh, it's, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. There, there is, unless, I mean, with an ex exponential growth thing, uh, maybe, but I have found that AI in general, like if you go get chat GPT or Bard or Claude, any of these that are uh, generally purposed AI tools, they're not trained on persuasive structures. And they're definitely not, not trained on personal relevance. Now, as you go in there, because you get to decide what you prompt the thing. And you get to decide what information you're going to give it. So you can take an email or a sales page or an ad or several and say, analyze this. It's a great ad. I want you to make similar ads for this. Here's the person I'm targeting. Here's what's going on with in their lives, the problem they're trying to solve. And it will get you close if you give it enough context and prompt multiple times to perfect it. And you still may have to take it out. You copy what they what it gives you. And then you strengthen it with what you know about your audience, what you know has performed for your in your marketing before. So I guess that answers the question. In order to get the best quality output, you really need to give the AI tool context. Tell it what you want to accomplish. And if you can, tell it how to accomplish it. <laughs> even if you're stealing somebody else's copy. This is a great example of what I want to accomplish or I want you to accomplish. Analyze it for style and try to make, make something similar, but selling this. And this is the target audience who we're selling to. This is the problem that they have. This is the desires that they have. And it will, it will get you close. <laughs> yeah. As I said, and you, it, you it, probably it, still have to perfect it. You're going to have to polish it. But for the foreseeable future, I don't see ChatGPT, for example, doing doing it by itself without those that context that you add in, and with, without multiple rounds of revision. If you want really like persuasive stuff, not you can go in there and say, "Hey, make me a sales page for cheese curls." It'll do something, and for many people, it'll be 
good enough. <laughs> You're like, I just need something to put on my sales page or something to put on Facebook. It just depends on the degree of persuasiveness and the degree of personalization that you want to add. So it just depends on what you want to accomplish. Now, one other thing that I'll say, there are copywriting AI tools. I won't name any right now, <laughs> but they'll get you closer because they're already trained on more persuasive data. ChatGPT is trained on yeah. everything. And so there, as much marketing as it has seen, it's seen more not marketing. <laughs> and sometimes it, it confuses the two. There's this new study out like today said ChatGPT is getting lazier. <laughs> Maybe it's more human than we think. <laughs> so it's anyway, I said that to say we, we just we need to be aware of its limitations, which is it's as a general tool, ChatGPT is a general tool. If you want it to be more persuasive, you have to tell it how to be persuasive. And if you don't mind general, the other thing is it doesn't tell stories. It's great at it can do child stories or fables. I've yet to see it produce a story that you didn't have to basically write to tell it how to write it because it just doesn't really understand how far as I can tell. It doesn't really understand how to make stories feel person. It just, it's information. It's not persuasion. It's, I say it's a, lar it's a large language model. It's not a knowledge model. So it doesn't know anything. It knows some probabilities, but it doesn't know anything for sure. And it's not a persuasion model. This is a language model. It knows probable, probabilistically certain words, and it, it has some things that it knows. <clears throat> I'll tell you something else that's fascinating. <laughs> I'm, this call is probably way longer than you planned for it to be. No, it's I had perfect. No, not a problem. One of at all. my my goddaughter was over, and we were talking about Sky Zone. So there's like a, a foam pit, and somebody was stuck in the foam pit and couldn't figure out how to get out, couldn't climb out. Anyway, so I just, I asked the chat GPT, how do you get out? If you're stuck in a foam pit or like a ball pit, how do you get out? And it said, <clears throat> you can get some help. You can try to like go horizontally across it, or you can soar out like a firefly or a dragonfly. It doesn't know. <laughs> it doesn't know. So it gave me two answers that are probably decent, but you can't know for sure that it's not telling you a story. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's very I took funny. a screenshot. I said, this is hilarious because this these hallucination things, that what they call when it does something like that, they're still happening in 2023, late in the game, late in the year. They'll probably never be totally worked out of the system because it's just a computer trying to figure, figure stuff out. Yeah. Recently with the new chatbot feature that you can create your own chat gpt yeah. yeah kind of thing that's been an, an incredible game changer because now you can have your own instead of using the generalized yeah. everything everywhere you can just use your own little like like copywriting yeah. like master yeah. kind of thing and then you yeah. just type in your thing and it spits out a story for you in the way that you want it to or that kind of thing but also like for that as well it really doesn't go to those three things you talked about in terms of the basic instincts, the interests, and the way that people would actually like the desires that they want from the thing that you're trying to persuade them to buy. 
And so it it doesn't really hit on that precisely, but even with like with enough prompting on that chat GPT bot, you can get it close enough to what it's tweaking that you have to do. Yeah. Isn't monumental. You don't have to completely rewrite it. Maybe just switch, like you said before, yeah. put the pain part at the beginning instead of at the bottom and just switch it, switch things up in a way that makes sense. So whenever you read it, it gets your attention and then it tells you and it teaches you and like in a way it's programming you to let you know that what's coming will improve make better it'll stop something that's happening to you in your life just to make sure that it all flows and reads in a very smooth fashion right and so that's a great point and to that point it can be very predictable <laughs> you hear people all, all the time now talking about if i see a word what's the word that everybody's complaining about unlock or whatever if it says unlock i'm sure ai wrote it or whatever it is there are certain words it goes to a lot and there's certain structures that you see all the time so if you want a different structure you probably have to tell it that specifically or you may have to go rearrange some pieces yourself it is doable and it's worth our time to figure out how to do that there's a tool called, I will mention this one, Hello Scribe, which I haven't used it super recently, but they just had an update where they have an AI agent, I think is what they call it, where you can say, I want to write copy about my podcast. And it asks itself questions. So it's like auto chat GPT, auto GPT or whatever. It asks its own questions. And so it, it prompts itself multiple layers. And so it'll give you a different output, different kinds of output than you might even think to get on your own. So that's one benefit that you will definitely get. If you ask it enough questions, it'll show you something you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. It may take all day to do that. But it does know, it has access to a lot of different things and will oftentimes phrase things in a way different from from what you would do. And so that can be helpful. A lot of times that's the best use case that I get from it. It's talking about stuff that I already know, but I just want to say it differently. Because so, I'm in my own mental grooves. Like, I, I know how I say it. And maybe I know four ways to say it. But I always revert, revert, revert back to those same four. And these tools, they don't have the same mental grooves that I have. So it, it will be able to say something that's the same, but different in a, in a noticeable way. So I, I found that's helpful uh, as well. But yeah, yeah but also, it, doesn't, it yeah. can't know the, the specifics of your audience. It can't unless you tell it. Yeah, and that also goes back to your, your notion of you want to have that spontaneity factor yeah. Yeah. in terms of your copy and sending out emails and stories and stuff like that. So then you're not like the same format like that that you want. <laughs> Make it sound music. Bring some jazz yeah. to it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Donnie, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have another question for you. And sure. that is, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be? I would hope people would listen to this. <clears throat> it would be love each other. <laughs> Why would that be your message? Because you, every time you look at the news, the newspaper, facial media, wow, social media, <laughs> a lot of negativity and it's, it's so easy for people to be mad at somebody else, to blame every problem in the world on somebody else. And it's usually just the person on the other side of whatever 
party situation you're in, political or religious or social or geographically. Everyone blames somebody else for the problems. If everybody loves everybody, let's just start there. If I love people, I'm not prone to blaming the world on you. Let's figure this thing out together so everybody can be in a better place. So that's, if we could do it, <laughs> I would. that would be what I would hope that everybody listens to. People can stop shooting each other, dropping bombs on each other. We don't need any more of that. There's, we've, <laughs> history's full of it. If we could change it, that'd be great. Yeah. And that, that, that was a wonderful message. And if there was one prompt that you could use for the rest of your life on ChatGPT or any other AI software, uh, what would that prompt be? <laughs> wow. It's funny. I don't know that I've used the same prompt twice. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I don't think I can answer that question because, again, my process, and it usually starts with, are, do you know Warren Buffett, for example? Yeah, I know Warren Buffett. He's this and that. And then that's when the, the interesting start begins, or interesting stuff begins. Then I say, tell me about value investing. And then it'll say, well, value investing is such and such. And then I'll say, what's superior about value investing versus other kinds of investing? So I don't know if I could do a single prompt. But I guess if I just had to use one, it would be, tell me about such and such. <laughs> yeah, because I've been like, even, yeah, with that one, that then explores your, yeah, multiple options with that one. That's a yeah, good Yeah, you can go any place with that. Yeah. yeah. Donnie, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. I appreciate the great questions and the great conversation, and I appreciate your platform. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Donnie Bryant. If you're interested in his work, make sure to check out the book, Subject Line Science 11 Made You Look Secrets to get emails opened and read on Amazon and the Kindle library. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Black Hole Podcast. Please be sure to leave a review on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also be sure to give Donnie a follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as subscribe to his YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.